then the song that we were singing earlier, Psalm 42, talks about uh, as the heart longs for flowing streams, so longs my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for the living God. You ever have a time when you really thirst, thirsty like that for the Lord, really long for him, really want to be with him more than anything else? I don't mean to leave the world and, and uh, just, I'm not talking about somebody that's got a death wish. I'm talking about wanting to be with him, wanting to, to fellowship with him, to experience him. He is so good. And that's what I want. I want to have that desire in my heart to really want him, to really love him more than anything else. A lot of, a lot of distractions. We're looking at First John. Um, you can take your Bibles and turn to First John. And First John and John in that little epistle gives us a lot of information about the assurance of our salvation. Um, and it's nice to have that. I don't generally speaking, try to give people or encourage people to gain assurance until I'm sure that they really know the Lord, because you, we, we spend a lot of time doing that. And sometimes we, we get people thinking they're in the kingdom when they're not. So it's, it's important to do that. But John is good in that he writes and he, he tells us, in fact, he tells us in chapter five, these things I've written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's one of the, one of the verses that we use as a good verse. But let's, let's ask the Lord's blessing on this time as we open his word and uh, ask that he would open our hearts. Lord, we are stand before you as a needy people. And nobody in this room is in greater need than I am your mercy, your grace, your patience, your love, and your activity. I thank you that you are my shepherd, that you provide the things that I need, not necessarily the things that I want, although if I knew my need and knew what your provisions were destined to do, they would be what I wanted. But I thank you for your love and care and provision Thank you for this time that has been set aside that beckons us to come. We were talking earlier about the throne of grace, come before the throne, which really is a dangerous place for anybody to be unless their sin is absolutely removed. And, but I thank you, Lord. I thank you for that the work our Savior, the Lord Jesus, on the cross, and thank you for his sacrifice and his love for us, for his pity for us, that he came and gave himself that we might have life. I pray that tonight, uh, as we begin to look at this little epistle, and look at the heart of this aged apostle as he is writing uh, from Ephesus to these saints, that uh, we would be among the audience sitting at his feet and that you would be showing us the things that uh, we need to see. Ask your blessing upon this time. Again, I pray that it is the Lord Jesus alone that is exalted and lifted up, that we'll see him and that you will, in spite of the massive limitations of the speaker, you would 
glorify his name and magnify his name and use him in our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. This um, broadcast, by the way, if you want to call it a broadcast or study or whatever on Zoom, uh, Aaron has told me reaches to other parts of the world, actually up to Alaska and over to China and other places where people, because the internet, you have access to the internet. That's very interesting to me and it's an interesting responsibility that the Lord has, that uh, of course, Anytime you stand up to open this word, that's a, that's an awesome responsibility. The Bible says you need more serious about that than anything else. But then when you multiply that by the by the thought that this may be going out to other places in the world, that's a pretty awesome responsibility. It's a very heavy responsibility. So having said that, uh, we want to ask the Lord. We we just did ask the Lord's blessing on this time. The Apostle John is the one that is the accepted by historians and by uh, some of the church fathers and others. He is almost universally accepted as the author of this little epistle, 1 John. John um, is accepted that he is the aged John when he's writing. It's, it's been about 60 years since the Lord, he had been with the Lord and the Lord had been taken up. And uh, he, is writing near the end of, of uh, his life. He's not, we're not, at least we have no indication that he is an invalid. He's very active and he's active particularly in writing. He is in Ephesus and his gospel, which Pete's been going through, thank you very much for the study, is, was at, written after the other three gospels. And uh, it's indicate, in, indicates that John had access to the other three Gospels to kind of review and see and pick out some of the things that he thought should be emphasized that were not emphasized. It doesn't mean that he was finding mistakes, no, no mistakes in it, but uh, John's Gospel is a little bit different from the Synoptic Gospels and that it contains the seven I Ams in there. I, I honestly don't think John intentionally tried to pick him out. I think that he was superintended by the Holy Spirit and that he was brought things to his mind um, as they needed to be brought to his mind. But the thing is that John wrote later, he wrote this, wrote these three epistles and then Revelation uh, and I will, in exile and I'll, that was, but this epistle uh, he's writing and he's writing to uh, the people and he, he doesn't start out like a lot of writers do by giving an introduction and then some other stuff and a conclusion, he just starts right in, which we'll look at in just a moment by just talking about Jesus and the message that he has and what Jesus is like. But um, one of the things that is in the background that I will mention now, I, I don't know how much we'll talk about it, but there are false ideologies that circulate uh, just like in our day, you have people uh, talking about all this uh, racial stuff, woke programs and things like that that are surfacing, that are unbiblical, that create uh, stress and uh, anxiety and discord and confusion among the saints. And there are usually in the church, you have every generation, you have a few strong teachers I'm not putting myself in that category, please don't say that. But there are strong teachers that stand up 
and to try to announce what's going on and just warn the people. Uh, we've been enjoying that with the G3 ministry and some of the speakers there that have been very forthcoming and they're very clear about those things. Um, and so that was not only true today, but that was true back then. Gnosticism was one of the philosophies that um, kind of postulated a dualistic approach to things to matter, particularly as they asserted that physical matter was evil and that the spirit or spiritual things were basically good. And I guess in one sense, you can understand why Christians might at least listen to that and think about that, because we know that we struggle in a physical world and the, the world of flesh and the devil are physical issues. And those are things that we struggle with. And we it's easy to think that all these physical things are evil and wicked and bad, but the spiritual things are good. But that isn't true. Um, physical things that we have like money, it can be evil, but it doesn't have to be evil. It's, it's something that God has created and we use it and uh, we use it for the Lord's work. And there are a lot of things like that. And so uh, it, 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 in one sense, I can understand how people might think something like that. And yet there it is, it has a danger. Um, some proponents of this philosophy began to downplay the physical humanity of Jesus. They talked about the physical and the spiritual. And they talk about Jesus as being physical, and so they kind of downplayed his humanity, his body. Some said his body only appeared to be real, and that only the spirit was divine. Um, there were some that considered themselves really spiritual, who claimed to have a, a superior knowledge to others, a greater insight uh, that the normal people couldn't see, couldn't grasp and so uh, they were those that were supposed to have been elevating their knowledge uh their gnosis and they have a higher supposed a higher understanding and um these supposed spiritual mystical shepherds uh began to rule among some uninhibited and so there was a need for standing up and saying something and so john kind of these things sort of surface with john and then they come to a full of a full orb day comes to a full orb um, with paul paul deals with some of these things as well there was a, a later heresy that also crept in uh talking about um that jesus because he was um they say that he that he became he was a man but he became the Christ spirit came upon him at baptism when the heavens opened up and the, the, the father said, this is my beloved son. But that uh, the spirit left him, the, 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 the deity, the spirit of deity left him just before the crucifixion. And so he died as a human, a regular man. They couldn't fathom that Jesus would give his life. Um, and, you know, even that, in a way, Unless you have the revelation of God, you can understand that because who would think that God, I mean, the Jews had a hard time with that, 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 that Jesus, the Messiah, would come and, and suffer and die and die for people and die for sinners. And what is that's what Paul says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And honestly, that is a massive, massive truth 
And it's true. And it's a wonderful truth. And we're we're just I've often wondered, you know, if the angels didn't know these things, they would think we were blasphemy when we talk about these things because they stand around. That's that's an awesome, awesome thing. And so uh, here is this this these things that are kind of going around. Um, there were distortions about the humanity of Jesus to the point that he was not 100% man, which affected his humanity, which meant that he was not uh, the God-man and could not really, because the one who died in our sin was a man who was God. And uh, so it would affect his atonement and just have, it, it doesn't necessarily seem like a real serious thing, but it's very serious. Anytime, anytime you start giving your opinion about things, if it's not from the scriptures, you gotta be careful. Because we don't have the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to to boil down the truth of Almighty God and put it into our little teeny tiny pea brain, you know. It's, it's an awful lot to try to squeeze into this little bitty gray matter up here, or your gray matter for that matter. And so it's, it's, it's um, what? That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> with everybody together, exactly right. You beat your brother, so it's, that's good. So anyway, here's this, uh, these distortions attack the humanity of Jesus and undermine even the atonement. And, uh, but the idea of the, the floating around with matter being evil and spirit good resulted in two extremes. One was that there was a compromise with asceticism that uh, the people began to treat the body with extreme um, harshness and and uh, avoided all kinds of, of indulgence and stuff like that and some it's almost like you go and live in a monastery and there are jokes about that i can tell you some jokes that are kind of stupid but they're not good but they, there are all kinds of things that you dennis probably knows those jokes but he was better than that anyway the, these things that um you can punish the body all you want to but you don't get rid of the sin because the temptation is right there wherever you go and whatever you do you carry it with you the other extreme was that um, since matter, the, the physical was evil and it was locked into sin, it didn't matter what you did with the, in the flesh. You could sin all you wanted because it had no real consequences because God knows that and so you can just sin, do what you want to do. And uh, But that too is a, is a sinful extreme because God gave us his law and his, his for standard of living in it. In, he intends for us to obey him uh, and to obey him out of love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so we want to do that. We want to take that seriously. At least I want to take that seriously. I don't mean like, when I say it that way, I don't mean to say that I don't think you do, but I do. I don't mean it like that. It's what it sounds like. But I'm just saying that, that I'm preaching to you, but I want you to know that I, I want to do that. I don't do it as I should, but I want to. I want to take it seriously. And so John is writing, and he's writing to with this kind of philosophical background, some of these things uh, in the background. And uh, he's writing over and over again in this epistle, this little epistle. He gives statements as you do this, and you'll know, and you'll have the assurance and help you to know. So John is really locked in on telling us things that we can do so that how we can know uh, that. We are saved, but we are really saved. And let me just stop there and say that to you, that I don't know of anything that's more important 
for you to be assured of and that you're saved. And how do you know for sure that you're saved? People say, well, I know that I'm saved because when I was 12 years old, I walked the aisle and I had tears in my eyes and my heart was broken and I was really serious and I felt good about that for a long time. But what's he doing now? How do you know today that you're the Lord? How do you know today that he's your Savior? What, what is he doing in your life now? And that's an important question. That's an important thing to, to settle. And we all are going to stand before him. I'm going to stand before him. I have um, more to account for than you will in one sense because I'm standing up here telling what God says. And you said this morning, we don't want to put words in God's mouth. That's sort of a fearful thing. It really is. And um, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to pretend I'm a pastor and I have it all together. And so don't come up and kind of correct me. Uh, I don't have it all together. And I'm, I'm a sinner and I know what it means to sin. I know what it means to lust. I know what it means to overeat. I know what it means to, to lie and to be dishonest at times. And uh, it's just, we, I, I carry that right here. And I'm, I'm the one that, that looks after myself more than I seek God's will. And so, and I, and I don't mean to be using myself as an illustration. I know I am, and that's not a good thing to do, but I just want to be transparent that we are in the boat together. We are, we are headed toward meeting the Lord. We are living in a world that is, Dennis and I and, and Marshall were, were discussing this today at Olive Garden. We are just talking about some of the things that are going on around us. And there's a lot of stuff. It's kind of a scary world. But God's in charge. He's absolutely As R.C. said, that there are in all the molecules and atoms in the universe, there's not one that's a rogue molecule. Everything is under his absolute control. Now, the God that's big enough to do that, if you've seen, I've been looking on YouTube and seeing, been looking at some of these pictures taken by the Webb telescope that's been circling the, the, in the solar system. Massive, massive pictures and beautiful, beautiful scenes of the stars, the heavens, the galaxies. And it is so phenomenal, you can't, you can't even begin to fathom how magnificent it is he did it one day as he created the stars also and for him to be able to do that is so so phenomenal he is so great for him to be able as the scripture says eons before he laid the foundation of the earth he had already put my name down in his book and if you're saved he put your name down in his book imagine him being able to do that and then work through all of the people and all of the plans and all of the circumstances, all of the political events, all of the elections, all of the storms, everything, and bring out what he wants in his way to corner us and bring us to the point of falling on our face and thinking that we just now discovered him and we need him. And he's been working for, the Bible does use the word eons, which is a bigger word than years. It's a word that's kind of, I think, applies to God's realm outside the space-time continuum that we have. So anyway, here he is, and he's working. And this aged apostle, this old man, uh, is the one that is in great demand. The one of the church fathers referred to him as uh, a living and abiding voice, uh, which is just way, and, and they talk about him as being the aged, and he was in Ephesus, and... Uh, People love to sit at his feet and hear the stories of the master through the lips of this apostle. 
whom Jesus loved. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that we know that we don't we we, we don't find him identifying himself in the gospels in, in this epistle. He's not he's just the one that Jesus loved. And I've often wondered why he did that, wrote it that way. And I think it was just that he just didn't want to pat himself on the back. He was humble, something which I need to work on, and maybe you do too. But he just he um, didn't want to call himself by name, and so he called himself the apostle whom Jesus loved. But of all the apostles, it's almost universally accepted. This is the one that wrote First John, and he is he is uh, the aged apostle now. He's the one that was not martyred. <laughs> And uh, he was a great man, and people would like to sit at his feet and listen to him talk about the master. And uh, you can kind of get a picture of his age and some of the things he said. For example, in First John two, he says to the he writes that I am writing to you, little children, because you have your sins have been have been forgiven you for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers. Because you know him who has been from the beginning, I'm writing you young men. Because you have overcome the evil one, I'm writing you children. Because you know the Father. Here is, you, you can get a sense of here he is, and he's writing all these people, and even the old men, the young men, he's addressing them as, a, as an old, wise. I think of, of uh, like um, Warner, or our friend out of the Master's Mission, Paul Teasdale addressing some of the younger men, some of the younger people, even some of the seminary students, and even some that are that are older. The, the, the uh, aged apostle calls him old man or young man or whatever and addresses them. And he has that, that uh, nice uh, camaraderie, that fellowship, uh, which, by the way, Warner can be enjoying right now in heaven with some of the saints there. I've often thought about that. I don't want to detour on that, but I've often thought about who I want to see most when I get to heaven, other than the Lord himself. Uh, and I don't know what, I have no idea what that's going to be like when we see the Lord face to face. I don't know that. But I do know that one of the people <clears throat> that I want to see is Job. Because I personally think Job is one of the, one of the, there are a lot of great men. Job is just, I mean, he went through such suffering and such hardship and such difficulty, and someone would just bam, 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 bam. And then the Bible says that he worshiped. He worshiped God in the middle of that. And, uh, and here's this, he, he was one of the very first, if not the first, uh, writer in the Old Testament. And uh, he's, he's a great man, and I'm just very anxious to meet him and to sit down his feet like we sit down at the feet of, of the Apostle John. And uh, hear what he has to say, hear his wisdom. Uh, it'll be hard to have a dry eye when you sit down like that and hear what he has to say and, and just learn the wisdom that he went through. What a great, great man. So anyway, here's, this, here's John writing this to old men, young men, uh, and uh, communicating with them. Let's look at the text and we'll just get started in it. Um, <laughs> I got all kinds of notes, and I say that when I don't have any notes at all. So, yeah. uh, here's what he writes. He said, the us start at the beginning, first, first four verses. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life.
was with them. You too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our way may be made complete. So here he is, he's writing to these people. And um, this, again, when you look at this, he does not say, talking about the beginning, what was from the beginning, he does not say who was from the beginning. He's, it, it, we think at first he might be talking about Jesus, but I don't think he's talking about Jesus the way it's worded. I think he's talking about the proclamation, the preaching of the gospel, which goes back to the beginning. Now he's going to be talking about Jesus here in this verse. But I think what he's talking about, first of all, is the proclamation of the gospel from the beginning. Uh, and let me, let me just give you a couple of references. First uh, John 4, 2. Uh, just the use of the word beginning, which uh, uh, kind of helped me to see that. First John 4, 2 says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard, that is coming into the world, and that is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. See, I probably have the wrong verse I'm reading. Uh, John, John 4 2. I'm sorry, that's in first John. John 4 2. Somebody can find that verse. Read John uh, chapter 4. That's the, the passage of the woman at the well. Here it is. Jesus himself did not baptize one of his disciples. Well, I, I wrote the, the, the uh, 4 2. 4 2. Okay, well, the, the, the passage, I'll have to find it. I got the wrong verse down there, but the passage does talk about the beginning, doing things from the beginning. It's not talking about the beginning as used in Genesis 1 1, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's not talking about the beginning uh, like John's gospel does in the beginning, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It's talking about the beginning as the beginning of the proclamation of the message of the gospel of the church. Uh, and so John, John seems to be relating that. He says, what was in the beginning, what we have heard, that's his words, and what we have seen with our eyes, his works, and what we have looked and touched with our hands, his, his person concerning the message of life or the word of life. And so he's, he's talking about this. John's going to be talking about this both the word written as well as the word in person, the, the, the person of Jesus. He's going to be talking about that. And all of this, this terminology here, what we've heard, what we've seen, uh, the life, he says in verse 2, was manifest, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you eternal life that was with the Father and is manifested to us. He's going to be talking about the things that he's seen, the things that he's beheld, the things he's beheld, and the things he's heard. And he's going to be doing that because there's, there are those around who are denying the person, the humanity of Jesus, and there are those who are talking about the physical as being bad. And so he's, he's just letting us know that Jesus came into the world, and he didn't come just as a mystical father, but he came as a person, as a man. He came here and he walked the planet when he died on the cross, and the nails were put into his hands. 
uh, there was real blood that, that came out of his veins and real blood blood was was shed for your sin and he wasn't he didn't shed his blood just generally for sin but specific he was his blood was shed specifically for your sin to pay for your sin and my sin and so um it's important that we see here here he's talking about these things and going all the way back to the beginning of the church time when the church was proclaiming the gospel message he says that which was from the beginning um which is the proclamation of the gospel we have heard we have seen we have looked upon we have touched these things are these things are part of the testimony of this apostle who was the apostle that Jesus loved, who followed him. Remember, there were three main apostles, Peter, James, and John. Peter, uh, John and his brother were known as sons of thunder, uh, called by Jesus sons of thunder, which kind of gives you a picture of different personalities that people have. And they had, John had personalities too. But the sons of thunder identified himself by just simply saying, I am the apostle that Jesus loved. So he, he had this uh, determination to be uh, humble. And so here is this here is this man, this godly man, uh, this man who had a temper, who was somewhat fiery, clearly in his God in his gospel, John, the gospel of John, as he tells us what it was like to, to follow the Lord. And he gives us a lot of the details and things that are very specific concerning this one who is the I am, who is now come from the Father to this planet. And so he is there. And so don't you know that John's testimony is a powerful testimony? Don't you know that if you sit down and listen to him and sit at his feet, you will walk out of that room the same that you walked into it, that it will affect your life because you'll hear the things about how Jesus lived and worked and what he did. And uh, it's a really powerful testimony. Now I go on to say this, you can sit down at his feet if you get your Bible and open to the Gospel of John and read it. And you can have John, the Holy Spirit, open it up to you. And I encourage you to do that because if you don't, we, we uh, were praying this morning the people who are dying of cancer and whatever, and we're witnessing to them about the gospel, and they, they don't listen, they won't listen. And the many people you talk to, and the question you have to ask yourself, at least I ask myself, is what are you waiting for? Why are you putting this off? But you've got to understand, they don't, they don't have a choice. They've made their choice some time back. And then they said, no, I don't want to hear and so we can preach all we want to, but unless the Lord in his mercy comes and says, okay, you've turned your back, you've turned your back, but now I'm gonna stop you and you're on the Damascus road and I'm gonna confront you. And you're gonna unless he does that, they'll be lost forever. Now I say that to say this, to warn you in a way that if God speaks to you, don't put it off because he may not speak tomorrow. Or the next, you may sit in church the, the day you die, but he may never speak to your heart. He may never open your heart. He may never give you the faith to hear. Do you understand what I'm saying? That you are dependent upon his effectual calling of you, his reaching into your heart and opening your eyes and bringing you to himself. You are dependent on that. And if he does not, 
do that to you, you have no choice. So here are people we've prayed for, and I, I just pray for me and for you that we won't walk away and, and ignore him while we are young, while we have lots of energy and everything, we make those choices, but those choices over a period of time get harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. That's why if you have people like I have family, have sisters and granddaughters and others that I pray for, and I pray that the Lord will work in their heart. Oh, that's the most powerful thing you can do. Really pray. God works. He does. And he, he answers prayer and he uh, knows our heart. He gives us burdens and he knows that. And so he's, he's good at that. So anyway, all I'm saying is when you sit down and the Lord shows himself to you in the scriptures, act on it. Follow through with it. Obey it. Obey him. Come to him. Follow him. That's the most important thing. What can you do more that's more important than that? What is it that's more important than not just hearing the Lord, but responding to him? Um, like Bartimaeus on the road up to Jericho. I love that story of Bartimaeus there, where he's there and he knows about the Lord. He, he uses a, a messianic term of David, David, Jesus, son of David. He knows all about Jesus. He's known about that, but he's blind. What can he do? There's nothing he can do. He's been sitting there by the road all this time. And uh, all of a sudden, he hears this commotion and going on loud. He says, what's going on? And they say, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's going up to, for the Passover, going up to Jerusalem. And so he yells out, Jesus, Bartimaeus. And the people say, will you be quiet? Shut up. This is a serious time. This man is, this is from God. He's out here and he's, he's talking, he's preaching. And the guy says, I don't care. Jesus, Bar Jesus, have mercy on me. And he yells louder and louder. He's not going to be quiet. This is his only chance. And there's no other chance. And he yells. The Bible says, Jesus, stop. I love that. He stopped. He called Bartimaeus up to him. He said, tell me what do you want? He said, I want to see. And he said, okay, you got it. And he gave him a sign. And Bartimaeus turns and follows Jesus. So desperation is such a good thing. And when God speaks, be desperate and listen and follow up on it and, and pursue it. And um, so anyway, I'm going to stop here on this verse two. It says, life was manifested by the Lord. And uh, he came to this planet, and he came to live and to die and to give his life a ransom for many, including me, including you. And we want to respond to that. We want to take him seriously. We want to do it. I want to do it. And I ask the Lord to help me to do it. Uh, I, I, my life is filled. It really is. With all kinds of things that I have chosen to do to myself instead of me. And I know what it's I know what it's like to know better and still pursue. And yet he's been merciful. He has not given me what I deserve. He's had mercy on me. And I just am so thankful to him. And I want my life to work as much as I can do it. I don't want to do it in the flesh, but I want my life to count for him. And I know you want your life to count for him. That's really important. And so I'm going to close in prayer. Just ask the Lord to work in our hearts and just help us to cooperate with him. We have before us uh, all kinds of opportunities to, to serve him, to live for him, to honor him. And I'm going to ask him to help us do that. Dear Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for the, the Apostle John, for what you did in his life. Um, I think it was both John and Peter that uh, when the Lord first called them, they went back to fishing, did it twice. I know that I can empathize with that, and I can also empathize with Peter there in that boat when the Lord came out the third time. They fished all night and caught nothing, 
And uh, Jesus came and got the boat and told him what to do to catch fish. I can see Peter rolling his eyes because he was a fisherman and Jesus was not. But he caught more fish than he ever caught in his life. And uh, he fell down at his feet with tears in his eyes and said, Lord, get on me. I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve this. You're just too much for me. And so uh, you're so good. And I thank you for that. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Help us to, help us to surrender to you. Help us to love you. We do not have the capacity to, as we looked the other day, to please you. Uh, we want to, but we find that we keep, at least I do, keep wanting to please myself. So I pray that you'll help us to really take you seriously and seek to please you and honor you and serve you and put you first. And uh, I just thank you so much for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us grace, benevolent favor from the God of the universe to sinners. Thank you for that. Thank you for your love and care. Bless this evening and bless these people as they go their separate ways. Help us to put you first today and this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.